Thank you for visiting Rotten Bananas Podcast. In our first podcast, Rotten Bananas and Ourselves, we're going to talk about our own identities, our self-awareness, and coming into our own identity. Thank you for listening. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Jahan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm not. <laughs> um, you know, I got a lot to be mad about, hmm. but yeah. I have a few questions for you. My first question is, how do you identify culturally, racially, socially, and sexually? I identify as Afro-Latina, um, Afro-Dominicana. Um, I haven't thought about the sexual part in a while, but <laughs> that's real. real. Um, I think I'm pretty straight for what's happened. Um don't know about the future or like now okay how about you how do you identify culturally racially socially and sexually um I identify as black um growing up in the midwest part of the United States if you are black you're black one drop rule is still very much so um how the social aspects of race move however when I moved here to Brooklyn um and after I got my ancestry results when I found out I was actually about 15 percent more Asian than I was black um I said you know what I need to start like understanding that part and it's really easy to do because there are a lot more resources in Brooklyn to identify as Blasian but I'm black um, I'm also aware of, you know, the European ancestry and DNA, um, just like most people who are descendants of people from the slave trade. Um, and also in my family, uh, my great-grandmother migrated to the United States after World War II, um, and she practiced Judaism. And so that part of my DNA and ancestry I don't identify with but I understand it and also living in Brooklyn I can find ways to connect with it and the resources to learn more about it so I'm open to one day maybe claiming that as part of my identity but I'm black I kind of feel guilty that I didn't mention the Bronx I identify as Bronx girl you sure do (laughs) sexually um i identify as heterosexual i have had some experiences outside of heterosexuality and they have definitely shaped my identity um so yeah um my partner is a male and um I am legally, I've legally stated in front of God, in front of our mamas and our best friends that I would spend the rest of my life with him. And so moving forward, I am heterosexual. Um, I do have a question for you. What does Afro-Latina mean? Afro-Latina to me personally means um, someone who comes from a Spanish-speaking Latin American country and is part of And it's part of the African diaspora. I 
I hesitated to say that because I feel like we're all part of that diaspora. However, there are some of us who identify as Afro-Latina who definitely um, accept it and kind of embrace it in every way possible. Um, I would also say being Afro-Latina or Afro-Latinx is probably evident to more Latinos than others. So like it's aesthetically more evident for like if... What does that mean? Well, for example, my sister and I um, both have the same mom, same dad, so same DNA. However, she is a white Latina. Um, she has lighter hair, hair that doesn't curl as much, um, much lighter skin compared to me. And I have more of like textured hair. Um, I'm darker, things like that. So even though you are from like the same kind of DNA pool, sometimes in Afro-Latino culture, some of us are more melanated than others. Okay, so it's okay to, you. your sister does not identify as Afro-Latina. She does not. And she doesn't have to because of how she looks. Yep, exactly. But you do, like to me, you are visibly black. So I understand that. But you all have the same parents. And how, what do you think about that? Like, how is that okay? I think a lot about that, especially because growing up, I was kind of forced to to understand that I was different from my sisters and like my cousins, that I was darker, that I was like more melanated. So like I've thought about that a lot my entire life. However, um, I think it goes to show how much violence and pain there was in like the whole us coming into like Latin America or like indigenous America like the pain behind that especially because some of us are clearly descendants of our like like clear descendants of our owners versus like some of us mm -hmm. don't lean into that um so I'm still struggling with that but and then how do your parents identify my parents identify as Dominican. Uh, they don't necessarily know what Afro-Latino is per se. Um, I do talk about it with them a lot. However, they feel like, oh, but I mean, we know who our great-great-grandparents are and they're Spanish, they're not African. And I'm just like, well, there are reasons you don't know that per se, but like there are also reasons why a lot of us are covering black ancestors that we don't want to claim. Like, for example, my grandfather from my dad's side is a visibly, like, black man who has Haitian roots, but no one wants to talk about that. No one wants, like, I figured that out on my own. Like, no one wants to, like, mention that or talk about that. Um, so we're quick to claim our Spanish ancestors, but we're not quick to claim, like, oh, I have a grandfather who came, who's from Haiti or, like, black ancestors that's interesting that you say that um my father even though he is mostly south asian um is dark-skinned he is darker than most of the american black men that i've encountered like throughout my life um and when he moved to the midwest he was black like anything that was about him that was like South Asian, any of that, like all that was denied. As soon as you set foot on this here United States soil, um, you're black with good hair and that's it. Um, 
And he would allude to growing up and hearing like rumors about like people in his family, um, his grandfathers like stepping out in their marriage. Um, and maybe that could be like a source of his melanin potentially. Um, but he also did his ancestry DNA and he was overwhelmingly South Asian. Uh, however, he did have, um, some Polynesian or like Melanesian roots too. And he said he didn't know that his grandfather like took trips to Australia. Um, so that's something I'm interested in covering too. Um, but my relatives from Trinidad would ask me questions like, do you know how to eat roti? Do you know how to eat with your hands? Uh, things that South Asians identify with. And some of my relatives would stand up for me and would say, well, she's Indian too. Uh, but a lot of my relatives would just look at me and just, they know my mom is black and they would just say like, oh, okay, but you're black. And trying to figure out for themselves like how they wanted to identify me. And it was never Indian. It was never South Asian. Like it was always just black. So... You and I have talked about like us being our ancestors being one boat stop away. And I think now more people are as we the United States comes to terms. I say that loosely um, with understanding and accepting that this country is founded on and built upon the free labor of enslaved Africans. We are st also starting to understand that all of those stops along the way in the Caribbean, a lot of enslaved Africans that were there and that they migrate here and we start to like share stories that a lot of those stories are the same. And a lot of our experiences, no matter where the boat stopped, like, we're all still experiencing those same things. Um, colorism, caste systems, all of those things are not unique to islands. However, my next question for you, you mentioned um, your grandfather being Haitian or having Haitian roots. I wanted to win... What year was that? It was a couple of years ago when the DR said, like, we are not allowing any other Haitians mm -hmm. into it. Can you, like, tell me, like, the accuracy of that? And, like, what does that mean? Well, that was probably, like, I want to say it was, like, 2014, 2015. Um, it's very much so being, like, it's continuing right now. But basically, regardless of of when you came to the Dominican Republic, even if you were born there, even if you're like second, third generation in the Dominican Republic, you ha if you're stopped, you have to leave. You have to go back to Haiti, even though you have no like idea of your roots back in on the Haitian side of the island. Like even if you don't know who your family is over there because all of your relatives are in the Dominican Republic now, you have to go. Um, and How do they know though? Is it like on your birth certificate? Is there an identification card? How do they know that you are Haitian? They don't care about birth certificates. There are Haitians with birth certificates from hospitals in the Dominican Republic who are still being sent back. They don't care about anything, just the way you look. So if you look, if you look Haitian, whatever that means, because there are Haitians and Dominicans who look exactly alike, 
if you location to to like just whoever like it is whoever, the statue right that's it like that's enough um but this isn't even like the first time this happened there was something called the parsley massacre in the dominican republic during i through hijo's regime which was like 30s 40s um and basically if you didn't know how to say if you said parsley in spanish which is perejil and they heard any type of french or creole accent in your tongue like you were you were killed like on the spot um so this is not the first time the dominican republic does something like this and i think like when that happened in 2015 i was like really upset um and i talked about it with a lot of my family members and they were all just like oh well they don't they're not leaving enough jobs for us like really like haitians are doing the real job in the dominican republic like my grandfather's lands are basically worked by Haitians. Like, it's really sad. Um, so they're doing, this, like, the same thing that we're doing to, like, immigrants here or people who, um, like, who are considered immigrants here is happening to Haitians in the Dominican Republic. So, like, like when that happened, um, I was upset, but I wasn't necessarily surprised because of, like, all the shit like we've already done to Haitians. Um, it's really disheartening and yeah, that's really I understand what you mean by disheartening. Um, in Trinidad, people of South Asian descent were indentured servants, while people of African descent were enslaved. And people of African descent have only not been, quote-unquote, enslaved for 50 years in Trinidad. And so people that were indentured servants, so people that were South Asian, had African slaves. And the ladder of servitude in, the, in, the, in Trinidad still exists. So you and I could go to Trinidad now and go to someone's home that is South Asian, mostly Indian, um, and they might have Africans or people of African descent or people who are just darker-skinned Indians because no matter where you are, if you have like a history of enslavement, we know that enslavement also includes rape. It also includes torture um, and things that bring people about that are now uh, multi-ethnic and multiracial. And so it's really difficult to go to places where our families live. Um, and I have to be, we have to be honest about like the reason that we are here in the United States is because somebody there was privileged enough to get us here. And to go, but see the people who look like us working the land, working the kitchen, mothering. Like, that's really difficult. Um, but I'm not even going to just place that on the Caribbean because when I was in South Florida, we were staying in a timeshare and we were the only people of color that were, like, sleeping in the beds and not sweeping the floors. And we were, like, going to the pool and 
I don't know how I feel about it, but so when we were in the pool, nobody else was in the pool. People were outside doing outside of the pool doing their thing. But as soon as we left and got out of the pool, it was flooded with white folks. Um, so I don't know how I feel about that. A part of me is like, good, wait for me to get out so I can enjoy this and enjoy my time. And you've made it very clear to me that you're not someone I should speak to. You're not someone I should engage with. And I can just go about my life. Um, but then it's like, for real? So I'm not sure. And I also feel that way about like segregation and desegregation. And if we as a people are like people of color in the United States, black folks specifically are better off if we have our own things or if we have, what are the benefits of integration? I'm still in that same place of I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm feeling the same way about like integration or desegregation um, right now. We're in like, I'm teaching the, we're teaching like the same kind of unit, right? Like civil rights and like um, school integration. And I'm starting to think like, like you're absolutely right. We should not be forcing our kids to integrate. I feel like it's much more harm on our kids of color than, than it is of any good to them. Like if we just move resources to schools where there's a majority amount of students of color and we move qualified teachers of color to those schools, like they'll be fine. Like they'll be so good. Like forcing them to like integrate, whatever. I can go on about this forever, but. No, that's real. So not even like forcing our students to participate in integration. I understand that like we see that it has a harmful effect on our students when they are called the N-word or they have caricatures drawn um, or Confederate flags drawn to scare them from participating in anything that other students do. Like, is that worth it? And that's just for our babies. And like for us, schools that are interested in integration always want teachers of color they want to focus on like recruitment and retaining teachers of color or oh, I'm not even going to say focus they're interested in but they do not address how they protect white supremacy and white fragility in spaces and at the risk of teachers of color being I don't even want to say putting themselves in like it's not even just character not even drawn but physical harm like we just saw in the news where that white student like went to his Asian teacher and was in his face yelling at him and called him a nigger so this is just what somebody recorded and released we know that these things are happening every single day to teachers of color where cell phones are not there to tape them or where people are scared to speak up for teachers. And why wouldn't they be scared? If you do, we could have, how many more Portland, Oregon's do we need to have? How many more white folks need to die before everyone realizes that racism kills? Because that's where we're at right now. Um, 
like John Brown raids and that's what I liken it to. It's 2017, but if you're on a train and two white folks die and one person barely survives just to protect black girls, that's where we're at. So we have modern day John Browns, but not enough because John Brown was not the only one. Like he wasn't enough then. That's why we still are fighting today. So what should we expect from Rotten Bananas? Well, you should expect to hear other stories from other Rotten Bananas. And like Lorraine said, even though we are letting it all out, you should expect to hear affirmations and liberations. How do we stay? How do we get and stay free? And how do we stay affirmed? I personally stay free by talking to other rotten bananas, speaking to people who I know will affirm me and will tell me, like, this is not all in your head. This is real. It's in the physical. We're all feeling it. Um, I also stay free by traveling, which is a very big privilege, and I acknowledge that. But if you can do that, if you can just reach out of here and feel like, yo, there's a whole world out there. This is not it. I feel like that just gives me a sense of freedom every time. And I will struggle to travel. Like I'm not rich, but I will put all my pennies together just to feel like, all right, I'm reaching out and going to this different land. Um, and the struggles there are the same struggles I'm having here. So this is not fake. Um, and that's how I stay real. An affirmation that has worked for me in the past has been telling myself that I am loved, I am love, and I am worthy of success. I get and stay free by staying connected to the land. I also love to travel. But I also like to go to different places in the United States, too, because I know that we have migrated and have been displaced and have been sold off to spaces and places that operate sometimes as different countries right here in the United States. And I, that's something I've always um, connected to. When I was younger, I used to pick up the grass and eat it. I was on a road trip, and we drove through Oklahoma, and the dirt was so red that I had asked my mom to pull over so that I could just taste the dirt. And she did it, praise her. <laughs> um, and here... I participate in two community gardens, one financially that is black owned. Um, and I just sit on that land and just try to feel what the indigenous people that we buried in the soil, like what messages they want to send me. Um, and another one, I don't participate financially in, but I do donate all of my compost to, um, and connect with the people who use that to grow their food and to sustain themselves. And affirmations for me, and what you can might be able to pick up from 
rottenbananas.org is like visual representations. And so I try to collect and I try to sometimes stage and just curate visual representations of us, of blackness, of being Caribbean, of being a disenfranchised people in this land. Uh, My grandfather collected and curated a lot of photos of flowers, of the land that he was just in. Um, And that's definitely something that stuck with me. And so I tried to also give and share visual representations of this land that we are forced upon. Thank you for listening to part one ourselves. Please leave us comment and let us know what you think. Even as we listen, we realize we've grown and that there's space for us to go into. So please give us any feedback. Thank you for listening.